0: Ecclesiastes chapter 11. How about that? You haven't heard that in a while. Um, I, uh, I thank you for flattering me and staying. Um, I don't know how long this is going to last. There are some certainties. I'll have to take some pauses, and uh, it's almost a guarantee that I'll cough. It'll sound terrible to you. Just know that I am 80% or more better than I was, and uh don't let it get to you. And, and I took all my medications. Hopefully I can uh, prevent a coughing spell, but if it happens, it happens. Um, thank thank you for, for coming. Um, I, I needed this probably more than you did, so uh, getting back to normal is, is really important to me. And uh, my work ethic is such that I don't like to be a slacker. And I know I wasn't slacking, but I felt like I was slacking, and I'm tired of the routine for the last eight weeks, and uh, anx- anxious to get back into the Word and, and to teach. You know, as I, uh, as I went through all of this, um, there's much that uh, the Lord used to even impress upon me through Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The realities that the Kohalath, the convener of the assembly, is trying to communicate to those that he's gathered together, and um, hopefully I can share some of those insights. I apologize if if I use myself in, in these last eight weeks as an example, but it's pretty fresh on my mind, and um, realistically, it, it kind of puts to flesh the words of a paper and, re- and reminds you that these things are true. And right and good, uh, even in in the most difficult days, as as Ecclesiastes and the the writer write, um, the days of darkness. And some of you know those days of of darkness and challenge and and heartache. And uh, as we reflect upon that this morning, um, I'll start by thanking everybody uh, for their prayers, um, notes, and cards of encouragement. Maya, thank you for the daffodils and, and some of the other things that, that, that came my way. Um, especially want to thank Lori. This has been probably as hard on her, maybe harder in some ways, than it has been on me. And uh, we didn't and don't see eye to on, eye on everything, as you might imagine. Um, but that's a good thing. And uh, we survived it. And, and, and we'll see what the next chapter uh, might bring. Um, but in Ecclesiastes, <clears> there's <throat> nothing I can do about that. My apologies. I, I'll try and dampen it with, with a handkerchief. In Ecclesiastes, going back all the way to the beginning of this study, we have a man, a calleth, who was the convener of the assembly, was gathering the people of God together after a long life, mixed with blessing, some heartache, and some pain. He gathers them together to impart the wisdom and the things that he'd learned and gleaned. So the years of his life under the sun, if you, if you look at chapter 12, verse 9, we're reminded that beside being wise, the preacher, the Koheleth, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And the preacher sought to find words of delight, And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. He was trying to instill in his people life lessons before they would get to those chapters in their life and experience some of the things that he'd gone through and experienced. And God had blessed him with wisdom that was beyond all others. And and I do make the assumption that this is Solomon writing and, and recording for us different stages and segments of his life. We'll find in, in chapter 11, in the first four verses, he begins the whole text with a number of Proverbs. <clears throat> as we look at those Proverbs and as we reflect upon what he has to say, he's going to contrast being old and older. And I'll be frank and honest with you this morning. If one more person says, you've got to take it easy, you're getting older, Pastor Jim. I'm going to show you what older is, Okay. <laughs> Um, I've heard that so much in the last eight weeks, and I understand the reality of those things, and even the Kohalath is going to say, I don't like this old stuff. I don't like this aging stuff. I don't, I don't like that life has, has changed so much, and and I can relate to that as well, and every once in a while I got to laugh at that. So, if you have your Bibles open in verse, verse 1 of chapter 11. He speaks or writes, cast your bread upon the waters, and you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And he who observes the wind will not will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes in vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your hearts cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes but to know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Father, I pray that you would give me the breath, the recall and the stamina to to work our way down through this passage of Scripture and to glean the wisdom the Kohalath, to gain the knowledge, weighing and, and studying the things he has to say, and learning about the things that are most important to life. So often, the things that we perceive to be most important in life turn out not to be important at all. It's so hard for us in the midst of life, whether in the lightness of the day or the darkness of the day recognizing the things that matter most. There are times where we are more lucid than others, times where we're more attentive to Your Spirit than others, and you reveal to us what, what really matters. May that be so. As we study Ecclesiastes chapter 11, bringing back to recall all of the things that we have studied thus far in this text, and may we be blessed for the time that we spend in Your Word. Again, we need Your help. You've never failed us. Bless us in the time we spend together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) In this text in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, particularly with the Proverbs, I believe that the Koheleth and, and the writer Solomon is making a clarion call for sober reflection on life the days and and the chapters of life, the years of life, the challenges of life, the blessings of life, and looking at it all and taking it all in and putting it in a right perspective, a perspective that is purposeful and, and meaningful, weighing each day. It's amazing to me in the course of my life and perhaps in the course of yours as well, How often we go through days and even weeks never really soberly reflecting upon everything, but just checking off the boxes and and doing what we have to get done on our our to-do list. But a call for sober reflection kind of puts some things in perspective. And I know in my life, and you can probably go back to chapters and times in your life, where there are seasons in which you have Nothing else to do but soberly reflect on the realities of life. And that's a good thing. And it's a positive thing. And it's a growth thing. And boy, if we could only learn to do that without the heartache and the realities of of the darkness of days. So Solomon of Koheleth, as he speaks to the people and, and calls for sober reflection, begins with a proverb. And he says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters.'" For you will find it after many days. There are as many interpretations as there are interpreters of chapter 11, verse 1. So many see it in a very literal kind of way and and judge that he's talking about commerce and business investment. He's talking about uh, sending your goods on on a number of different ships overseas for, for sale, And eventually, the proceeds of that sale will come back to you, but I'm not exactly sure, and in fact, I have some doubt that he's dealing with commerce or business. I think it's simply a general proverb that needs to be understood in a metaphorical kind of sense. And if you understand what he's saying in a metaphorical kind of sense, he is talking to us about the realities of life and dealing with everything in life beyond mere mere wise investments. As I read this passage of Scripture, he is saying, listen, life is short, and you have to make uh, reasoned and, and, and measurable investments in life. You have to take the resources and the things that God has blessed you with and do something meaningful with them. And as you do that, you must know and understand that there are risks accordingly. And sometimes the return on your investment may not be what you wish it to be, and sometimes it may be greater than than you think it might be, but you do have to do something with your life. You have to make investment in in something. You have to invest passion in something. It could be in a vocational calling. It could be in my vocational calling. It could be the investment in, in people and in people's lives and in families. It can be an investment in in, in doing good and reaching out and blessing a lot of people in light of how God has blessed you in your own personal life. But you can't measure the weight of your investment or the goodness of your investment against the return. Because if you measure it solely based on return… I believe that as you look at the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, you will find out that oftentimes you will be disappointed. Sometimes the people that you invest in most and that you give the most to have virtually no appreciation of that. I think Solomon is saying, don't worry about the outcome. Just take the resources that God has given, make the most of them, and cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. There will be consequences of that investment. There will be something that comes back in light of all of the effort and energy and resources that you've applied to that. Historically and traditionally, the early church fathers saw this passage of Scripture as a passage describing almsgiving. And almsgiving were basically what we do as individuals and our blessed lives and our resources, to bless those who are less fortunate than us. He is calling upon us to pass on that blessing, to not look past people, to not look past opportunities, to not look past situations, but to do what God has equipped you to do and to simply cast your bread upon the waters. It reminds me of the, tal- the parable of the talents that that we read of in Matthew 25, if you've read that, Jesus, or at least uh, the the worker of the house, gave one ten talents and one five talents and and one two talents to take care of as he was away. If you understand the parable of the talents, the one who had ten multiplied those talents and, and had so much more to give, the man of the house, the one who had five, took his five. Although he didn't have ten, he didn't lament that he didn't have ten. He took his five, and he cast them upon the water, and he made some wise investments, and he gave those returns over to the master of the house. There was a third man who wasn't blessed as much as the first two. He had one talent. He was afraid of the harshness of the master, so he buried the talent in the backyard, dug it up, The master said, what have you to show? He hadn't lost anything, but he hadn't gained anything. He failed to cast his bread upon the waters. And the judgment of the man of the household was harsh. And he took it and gave it to the one who had ten and had five. There's a lesson to be learned there. Our life... Our world is so calculating. I will do this in order to get that. Aren't you sick of politics? I'll do this in order to get this vote and to make this group happen. Cast your bread upon the water. Leave the results up to God. Cast the bread upon the water. And after many days, you understand the impact of your giving. Koheleth is a realist. He understands that not everything will turn out the way he wished they would. He understands that there are absolutely no guarantees in life. But instead of measuring people and investment and, and, and giving based upon what you might get back, based it upon what you've been commanded to do and just do it for the glory of God and let the consequences be what they may, that's a hard thing to do in life. Hold on to our stuff really tightly. Solomon, if you recall, struggled with this, and he talked about his impending death and and this massive amount of wealth that he'd accumulated for himself. And remember the question that he asked himself: I don't know if I can trust these boys. I don't know if they'll appreciate what I give them. Maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna squander all of that. Maybe I shouldn't give them anything and. Now we find Him saying, no, cast your bread upon the water, and after many days, you will find it. You'll understand the impact or lack thereof that it made, but the emphasis is not on the risk and the emphasis is not on uh, the reward. The emphasis is on just, just do what's good. Take what God's given to you and use it for His glory. He says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. Be, be lavish and generous. I say, well, Pastor Jim, what if I invest it? I could make all of this money and help more people later on. There is risk to every investment, and there is no promise of reward. And the mundane day-by-day, hour-by-hour existence of my last eight weeks, I would watch old sitcoms, and one of my favorites was MASH, and we have Frank Burns, who was a sniveling doctor who was always falling for these get-rich schemes, and then there was Hawkeye Pierce, who was a jokester, and he wrote a letter to his dad, a fake letter to his dad about pioneer aviation, buy it everything you can because it's going to go through the roof. I got this tip on the inside, and he left it in a conspicuous way, knowing Frank would find it. And Frank, according to his personality, found it and read it and got in touch with his broker back home and said, sell everything that we have, doesn't matter even if we take a big loss, invest it all in pioneer aviation, we're going to be rich. Some of us will live our lives that way. Some of us measure success that way. It doesn't matter if you have ten or five or one talent, cast your bread upon the water, and after many days it will come back. Be lavish and generous. Give it to seven or to eight. Why? Because not all the time does pioneer aviation work out what does he say? You know not what disaster may happen on the earth. Today matters. Make the most of today. Stop worrying all about tomorrow. I go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read that recently? God said, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, do you you take care of them? Do Do you worry about their existence? God says, I know the number of hairs on your head. Take no thought for tomorrow. It's, it's sufficient for the evil thereof. Today, do what you're supposed to do. And what is Solomon saying? Cast your bread on the waters. Be lavish to, to seven or to eight. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so make the most of the opportunity. There's call for sober reflection. He is speaking in a metaphorical kind of sense about being diligent and responsible all at the same time. Sometimes it's not easy to know or to decipher between those two things. So one day at a time in the uncertainties of life, we focus on the blessings of our life and passing them on to others as Martin Luther said of this text, share your food, know that the Lord has given it to you, and the fact that you have been generous with others will not perish And I love how he says this, even though it seems to perish. It's gone, but it doesn't perish. And we say, so what good came from it? And God is silent. I I personally find that a struggle. What's the point of all of this? And God is silent. You know what the point is? Just do the right thing. Be lavish. Pass on your blessing. Take care of today. And let me work the rest of it out. He says in verse 3, after calling upon us to to seize the opportunities of the day, the clouds are full of rain, and they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls there, it will lie. In essence, he goes back to chapter 1 where he talks about the wind blowing from the north to the south and round and round. And the clouds empty themselves, and then through evaporation they're filled again and they empty themselves. And we're always trying to figure out when the clouds are full and when they're going to empty themselves of their rain, but there's only one person who knows that. And it's the sovereign God of the universe who's designed this universe with order. That's not for us to worry about. He is saying there's a predictability about life, but life isn't always predictable. Isn't that the paradox? If I do this, surely this will happen. Solomon's whole issue through the whole text is that's not the way this has worked out. That's not the way that I see this as a reality. So although there are some predictable things in life, not everything is predictable. Remember those dry seasons that we've been through in the past, and these dark clouds roll over our area, and we say, Oh, finally rain, and it passes us only to pour on a community 15 miles from us, and we say, God, well, what's the deal? You don't think he knows? When a tree falls in the forest, falls to the north and to the south, you know who's in charge of that? The creator of the universe. Only he knows which direction that tree is going to fall and lie. That is none of our concern. And that's exactly what he's saying. Cast your bread upon the water. You don't know what tomorrow brings? Just just do what I've called you to do. And he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. This is a really interesting verse. So now he goes back to the investor. The person called the bond to cast their bread upon the water. <clears throat> I don't know how long I'm going to go here. To cast their bread upon the water. And he says, you know what? there are sometimes we're paralyzed in life because we don't know what the right thing to do is. And he says, listen, when you're always worried about the wind and always worried about the clouds, you will do no sowing and therefore you will do no reaping either. It's a picture of a farmer who says, it's the season that I must plant the field, but today's not a good day. It's supposed to be windy. I don't want the seed to blow away. Today's the time to, to sow the field, but it doesn't look like rain for seven or eight days, so maybe I'll wait, and sometimes in the reality of life, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Have you ever noticed that? I'll wait for the perfect time, so almost No, just cast your bread. There's only one person who knows the perfect time, and he lets us in on a secret. It's not you. It's not you. So he uses this analogy to remind us of the sovereignty of God. You can't fret about the things that you can't control. But how many of you spend a lot of your life worrying about the things that you just can't control? You can't add a cubit to your stature? You can't squint your eyes and make a fist and make hair sprout on your head or wish weight away. Sometimes we we operate in church this way. The perfect is the enemy of the good. We have to be perfect. No, we have to do the best we can with the resources we can today. No do-overs. Do the best you can today. Leave the rest up to God. Here's a man who's come full circle. Remember what he said in chapter 2? I'm going to do everything I can because I'm going to be rich. And I'll have more than any before me in Jerusalem, and I'll still have my wisdom. And now he says, you know what? Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days, you'll find it. Rest in the sovereignty of God. Because in reality, when we look at life, Verse 5, we do not know the way the Spirit comes. Literally, he is saying, we don't know where the wind comes from, but we know there's wind. We don't know where the wind goes to, but we know there's wind. If you go back to chapter 1, he used the same illustration. We don't know how exactly the bones in the womb develop in woman with child. Ever stop to think about the fascination of conception and that day of conception into a, a full grown human being in the womb of a mother? Did you do that? Remember what God said to Job when Job said, Hey, I need some answers. Hey, where were you when I did all of this stuff, Job? Solomon is speaking along those same lines. There are some mysteries to life that we will never be able to comprehend. There are some things in life that are not given to us to know. And in reality, we dwell in significant ignorance about what's going to happen in this world. We must rest knowing that God, without doubt, is working in the world. And here's where it gets hard in your life without knowing how and why he's doing it, or what he's doing. I, I spent some time in the last eight weeks having a pity party. What's the deal, God? Why are you doing this? One of the biggest challenges that I had was, and then, and, T-H-E-N, just get ready with the double pneumonia. Okay, i got to take a a second course of medicine, but just going to take care of it. And then I get COVID. God, what's the deal here? So I take this antivirals that... I don't want to discourage you. That stuff will kill you. And the COVID goes, and then the pneumonia gets back. So God, what? What's the deal? What do you suppose all that fretting got me? Nothing. Nothing. He knows. He's engaged. He's involved. You don't know nothing. The work of God who makes everything. You know, sometimes that's a scary statement, but in my life I've learned to understand that's a very comforting statement. I don't know, but I know the one who does. And he's got everything under control. Are you encouraged by that? That's what what he's telling us here. He's winding down to get to the punchline of his story. And for those who see him as a cynic, they misread him entirely. Here's an apologist that said, here's what I've learned. It's the most important thing you'll ever know. And he's sharing and bearing his soul to us. He says in the morning, sow your seed then. Don't wait for the wind and the rain. In the evening, withhold not your hand. If you do not know what will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What he doesn't say that needs to be added, or both alike will be bad. You don't know. But you know the one who does. So he says, light is sweet. Sunshine is sweet. Uh, literally, not just light. He says, life is, life is sweet. Stop and take stock. Life is sweet. God has been good. There's so much for us to be thankful for. I was amazed. You sit around and do nothing but cough. I was amazed at, to look out the window and see a Carolina blue sky and say, that's amazing. That's amazing. I had an opportunity, because I couldn't do anything else but cough, to enjoy the sky that God had, had made. Life, life is good. Make the most of every opportunity. Celebrate the good things we've often heard. Stop and smell the roses. The problem is, roses have thorns too. He's going to get to that in a minute. God bless me with so many little things. Over the course of the the last eight weeks, things that would mean nothing to you but meant meant a lot to me. Uh, A a turkey gobbler strutting in in my yard by the pond. That means nothing to you. That's glorious to me. God God did that. He gave me that little glimpse. He showed me the blue sky. He, He handled my pneumonia before he allowed me to get COVID. Don't you think that's a miracle? That's a deadly combination. God did that. There's so much. Enjoy life. Life is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sweetness of life. It is a great exercise to look around and say, wow, look what God has done. Look what He's given me. Look what He's blessed me with. How many of us take the time to do that? This is good, this is good stuff. Can I be honest? This is really pointed stuff to me in the last eight weeks. You know, sometimes God allows me to go through things so that I can pass on to the, you the, the things that I've learned here that aren't new under the sun, but it can add some flesh and bone to the lessons in life. God's good. We're blessed abundantly. I even stood in the living room window looking at the beautiful heavy snow that came. Now, maybe it didn't bother me as much because I couldn't even go up the stairs, let alone go out and shovel. But it was beautiful. It was… everything was quiet. It was, it was just amazing to me. How much grumbling do we do instead of seeing the sweetness of God in life under the sun and the blessings that he bestows upon us. Find the beauty and the blessing in every day. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. This casting your bread isn't a one-time event. You do it over and over and over and over. The learning of the biggest lessons in life. You have to learn over. You know, there's a blessing that cough. Six weeks ago I wouldn't stop until about 2:30 this afternoon right? That's good. Just, just how, you, how you measure things and how you see things. So, in the many years, however many years He gives you, rejoice in all of them. But don't forget that mixed in this reality of life under the sun are days of darkness, and they will be many. He's going to warn us in chapter 12 that the older you live, the more darkness of days. You experience things and you go through things that, that, that young people just don't have to go through. He says it and describes it in almost a sarcastic, in my opinion, hilarious way in chapter 12 when he talks about our teeth falling out and our, and our ears not hearing and our eyes growing dim and, 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 our, and our hands shaking. Boy, have I done a lot of that in the last eight weeks, right? Um, it's not a pretty picture, but he says it doesn't matter. That's the, all, that's the sum of life. And you can live your life in vanity and focus only on the days of darkness, and you can keep all your stuff to yourself for a rainy day just in case something might happen, but none of us knows what tomorrow might bring. So simply live life to the fullest and cast your bread upon water. And let God take care of the rest of, of that. You know what? Even if you don't, God takes care of the rest of that. So why don't you seize the blessing? Cast your bread upon the water. Stop looking at the return on the investment and start looking at life and and measuring how good God has been to you. For me to sit here 25 minutes into this, 30 minutes into this, that's a blessing. It's hard for me to communicate that to you. That's a blessing. I wouldn't have thought this just a couple of weeks ago. God, God, Is good. So then he says to the young people in the audience, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Hey, listen, don't let your youth be wasted. Enjoy life, let life cheer your heart in the days of your youth. Live this carefree existence because here's what's coming. What what is He talking about? Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil day comes and the years draw nigh of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. These are the best days of life. Enjoy them. Enjoy the life That is before you, and the opportunities to present themselves to you. Rejoice while you're still long and young and can rejoice. And yet, at the same time, he says, "And while you're doing that, guard your heart." And here's the reason he says that: Solomon was once young too. He failed to guard his heart, and hedonism took its root in him. He says, "Walk in the ways of your heart. Live." as God intended you to live. Walk in the sight of your eyes. Don't miss the benefit and blessing of being young. Don't miss the fullness of opportunity that lies ahead of you, because life is short, and soon you'll be looking back at those days and measuring the few days that lie ahead of you. If anything, Solomon drives home the point yet again life is short, so make the best use of time. Right now counts forever. That's a really important thing to know. Right now, this day, in this instance, counts forever. So as he talks to the young person and encourages them to live life to the fullest and to enjoy the benefits of youth and and to look around and see how God is blessed and enjoy the simple things in life, he then reminds the young person, "But know that all of these things God will bring into judgment, even in your youth, however you spend these days, wherever you cast your bread, you will be held account to all of that. You will answer to God for all of that. So he gives a warning in verse 10: "Remove vexation from your heart. Stop worrying and being so fearful about tomorrow. Stop letting the weight of the world rest on your shoulders and and, and rob you of the the simple joyful things of life. And put away pain, and, and probably that translation ought to be evil. Put away evil from your body. Put away and fight against those evil desires of the flesh and and the evil of life and this sinful existence that you live. Because if you don't remove vexation from your heart, and if you don't put away evil from your from your body and behavior, you will find that even in your youth and in the dawn of life, there is an emptiness. So you have the opportunity to enjoy the stage of life. But if you make the wrong choices, you have wasted your time. It is like chasing after the wind and there is no profit under the sun. Who says something like that? The man who lived that life. Who he said, here's some things that I've learned but I don't have a chance for a do-over. Young people pay attention to what I've learned. You know, in the context of life, There are things to know when you don't know. You say, what sense does that make? Because we can't know everything, but we can know some things. We need to know the things that we can, and we need to let the rest go. And as He speaks to this, He's teaching us that some of the uncertainties of life are intended to have a shaping influence on the certainties of life. Because no one is guaranteed tomorrow you ought to enjoy today. Just a little a little illustration. In the middle of all of this, when it was the worst of the worst, during that seven or eight days of the moon and COVID, my wife said, "Well, I don't know what to do. What can I do for you?" I literally said, put me out of my misery. Uh, this Put me out of my misery. Life's like that sometimes. There are days of darkness. And then you take those five or seven steps into the living room and you look out and see that bright sky. And God said, ha, How about that? How about that? And it changed your perspective. That's all Psalm was trying to communicate here. It's always trying to say, Life is hard focus on the hardness. Look at what He's done and what He's given to you. And he's, he's pleading with these young people that there are some things that they must know that they don't know and can't know. I think that one of the two verses in Ecclesiastes that summed up is in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I'll, and I'll wrap up. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? In the days of prosperity Be joyful. In the days of adversity, consider this. God has made well, one as well as the other. And you don't know, nor can you know, anything that will come after. Just accept it from the gracious hand of God and be joyful. He's calling us to one of two options. Live life to the fullest or wallow in your pain. And he says, what's it going to be? And too often, sinful human beings, we can fall into the the pattern of wallowing in our pain instead of celebrating our existence. You know, life itself is a classroom in which we are learning contentment. And again, after all that I've been through, in my some 62 years, these last eight weeks have taught me a little bit more about contentment the simple things, and the things that matter most. And this message resonated with me. I hope it resonates with you. God's good. Make the most of today. Yes, it might snow tomorrow, but it might be sun shining today. You can't control tomorrow. Cast your bread upon the water. Live right and and lavishly and and generously. And leave the rest up to God. He is working toward a conclusion. And the conclusion is simple. If you've listened to nothing else I say, Koheleth says, pay attention to this. This is my final conclusion. Reminds me of that old uh, TV show. Is that your final answer? Here's what he says. Here's my final answer. Fear God and keep His commandments because that's the whole duty of man. Someday, when the light doesn't shine, and your days of darkness are over and you're standing in His presence, He will bring every deed into judgment, whether good or evil. Sobering, sobering, sobering. So you look at life, reflecting as Solomon did in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he has made beautiful everything in his own time. He's put eternity into man's heart, that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning and the end. I perceive that there is nothing better than to be joyful and to do good as long as we live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil, for this is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people learn to fear before Him. Amen and amen. And if you don't believe Him, you can believe me. Everything's gonna be okay. Thank you for your patience. Thank God for giving me the stamina. I didn't think I had it in me and I probably didn't. Thank God for the Word. As you leave today, cast your bread upon the water. And after many days, you watch and see what the Lord will do. And may it all be for His glory. Thank you for coming. Hopefully I'll preach next week. Time will tell. See you next week.